Welcome to another edition of the TDN Writer's Room. My name is Bill Finley. I'm a correspondent for the Thoroughbred Daily News. I'm also the co-host of the Down the Stretch radio show on Sirius XM Radio. Hi, y'all. I'm Randy Moss. Greetings from uh, from Minnesota. I uh, just got back from uh, from uh, televising the Keeneland races. I'm with NBC Sports. Zoe Cabman here in sunny California. No doodle sighting. I think he's under the bed. I work for XBTV and First Racing. Any dog sighting for you boys? Uh, Penny just left the room. I'm sure uh, Lucy's around somewhere. Though, there, right? she there she is. There she is. Go. There she is. All right. Hi, Lucy. And I want to remind you this week and every week we're brought to you by our good friends at Keeneland. OK, speaking of Keeneland, um, we can really get have a lot of fun going over not only the Keeneland races, but all the major Breeders' Cup prep races that were run uh, around North America, including Canada, over the weekend. Obviously, I don't think we can get to every single race, but let's try to focus in on some of the bigger ones. And the way we set it up was let's go track by track. And let's just do kind of a free flowing t- discussion of what we liked, what we saw, et cetera. And I'd like to start it at Keeneland because I said on the show last week, I thought the race of the week was going to be the Coolmore Turf Mile. And I nailed it, guys. That was the race of the week. And I thought that up to the mark was the biggest star of the weekend. He only won by a nose, but he gave me hope that the American turf horses aren't hopeless after just losing everything in sight. He goes up against a really nice horse by the name of Master of the Seas, who was the favorite in the race. Charlie Appleby coming off a win in the Woodbine Mile. And if Master of the Seas had whipped his butt, I would have just said that you can just forget about the American horses. They're not good enough. So uh, up to the mark, trained by Todd Pletcher, uh, who is not necessarily known for being that strong in this division, is the best American turf horse in the country. I have no doubt about that. And will carry the flag for the good old USA. But that wasn't that a terrific race, Zoe? I mean, it came down to the wire and nose. Great ride by Jose Ortiz. That was the race of the week. And you know, the only time he was in front was right on the wire when he got his nose down. The only time, like I saw a still of what seemingly looked like the finish line and it was clearly Godolphin in front. I mean, I'm not arguing the finish. He just got a really, really good bob. But I have to say, I was a little worried because, you know, the Godolphin horse was off and running and he was coming down the lane like a juggernaut. And Jose, who was in a good position, seemed to get shuffled back on the turf and he was nowhere. And I I was a little bit worried initially because I played the cross-country pick six and I did not single up to the mark because I was worried about Jose Ortiz. Irad is his regular rider and has done all the good work on him. And I'm like, Jose doesn't know him as well and perhaps he's going to get to know him in the race. I, I, I don't know, but I couldn't single him. And then coming down to the water, I'm like, oh, God, I'm glad I didn't single him. And he just got up in the nick of time. It really was a fantastic race. I mean, honestly, if it had been a dead heat, I would would have been quite happy. And now, you know, we're going to hear um, an awful lot about Mike Rapoli on this show a little bit later on. But 
He has confirmed that up to the mark has no more to prove going a mile, Randy, but he will go in the turf, which is a mile and a half. So judging by how he ran, I don't think it's going to be a problem, especially coming down the hill at Santa Anita. Yeah, Cesar, you were getting bogged down in your handicapping looking at jockeys. I never have that problem at all. <laughs> <laughs> Jose Ortiz, Irad Ortiz, uh, yeah, they're both good. Uh, look, what what impressed me so much about Up to the Mark, and you you mentioned it earlier, if, if uh, Master of the Seas – had encountered traffic trouble or just did not fire his best shot and up to the mark wins, then maybe there's still a question mark or two or whatever. Uh, but look, Master of the Seas fired big. I mean, he, he fired j- just as big a shot, in my opinion, as he did at Woodbine. And the way European turf horses finish, we don't see very often, to Bill's point, a, Euro- a quality European turf horse fire big with that turn of foot and then get run down from behind by an American. So, and, and not only that, but an American and up to the mark that, that hadn't run in a little while because of a, a um, unspecified uh, physical setback is the way Todd Pletcher put it to us. Uh, but he came out big and now on to the mile and a half where he'll probably be matched up against a a really good but sometimes inconsistent European named Auguste Rodin for Coolmore and Aiden O'Brien. Uh, some other potential Onesto who finished third in the arc, but who may be better on softish turf, expected to come over for the turf as well. Warlike Goddess, we'll mention her later. Uh, so it's going to be a tough spot for up to the mark, but undoubtedly he is the best of the American grass horses in it. It's really going to be a good race to look forward to. And if Godolphin presses ahead with Master of the Seas, you know, it's conceivable we could get two Breeders' Cup winners out of the Coolmore Turf mm-hmm. Mile because, you know, he'll be one of the leading candidates for the mile. Another race where there should be huge European participation. All right, we can bounce around a little bit at Keeneland. And uh, another race that caught my attention and caught the attention of a lot of people was the Breeders' Futurity. Locked wins by a half length over the wine steward. We're going to talk to his owner, Aaron Wellman, a little bit later in the show when we do the Green Group Guest of the Week. Um, He's kind of a funny horse. He went off at 12 to 1 in his debut. A Todd Pletcher horse at 12 to 1 debut at Saratoga. Had a troubled trip, ran well, came back and then broke his maiden with a big number. Um, He didn't blow anybody away. He beat the wine steward. But Zoe, he had a tough trip. He was wide on both turns. Um, I don't know how he's going to fare in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. That's going to be a very tough race. But uh, I liked his race as well uh, for uh, another Todd Pletcher winner over the weekend at Keeneland. Well, he stepped up at every point. I mean, it's obvious that he wants to go two turns. You could tell that by his debut. He galloped out in front. First time around, two turns. He's answered every question. I can't knock him because he's not going to blast the doors off anyone. He's not that kind of horse. He's That's why he was 12 to 1 in his debut, because he's not one of those hell-to-the-leather workhorses in the morning. He's just a really good horse. He lost an awful lot of ground. He traveled way further than everybody else in the running of the race. And I don't want to say it was a workmanlike performance because I believe it was a good performance, but I thought he looked terrific coming down the lane. And we know that the Breeders' Cup Juvenile, there is going to be pace a plenty signed up there because there always is, and there'll be plenty of California speed in there. So I think Locke 
Locked has a really, really good shot. And I was very impressed with his run. Yeah, uh, I don't know what to make of Prince of Monaco on the West Coast. But right now, I say put me down for locked for the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. Look, he mm. he did blow away a maiden field at Saratoga very impressively. And I believe he would have blown away the Breeders' Futurity field with a better trip, with a better post position. Look, he's four wide on the first turn, okay? And when you're Jose Ortiz, who was riding, riding locked, he showed a lot in that maiden win at Saratoga when he was very forwardly placed right up on the lead. So Ortiz had a choice when they hit the first turn. There was a cluster of horses inside of him. He could either take back and lose early position and move over and save some ground, or he could go ahead and let Locke push forward and have a, a better position closer to the pace, but get caught wide. And what jockeys try to do and Zoe knows this, if you get caught, especially in a big race like this, if you get caught wide on one turn, you at least try to save ground on the second turn. You don't want to go wide on both turns. But Jose had no choice. He was stranded out five wide all the way around the second turn. Now, we'll talk about Muth later, the winner of the American Pharaoh, who had a rail trip on both turns. The difference in buyer speed figures, if you're a handicapper, between a rail trip like Muth had and a four-wide, five-wide trip, like Lockhead, is roughly 13 buyer speed figure points. So to me, Lock ran a gigantic race. And then, not only did he go wide on both turns, but then he had to engage in a dogfight down the lane uh, with the New York bred, uh, the wine steward, who ran a really courageous race himself with a good trip, and he managed to prevail over th with that. So I really liked Lock's race a lot. Uh, was a lot to like, but uh, we'll get to Prince of Monaco a little bit later when we talk about Muth and the American Pharaoh. Boy, uh, I'm sticking on the uh, Prince of Monaco uh, bandwagon for now after what uh, we saw over the weekend. All right. So what is it about Chad Brown keep keeps getting in Italian beat by his own horses? I've been a big fan of hers for the longest time, but now the story plays out again in the first lady. Um, she She's the heavy favorite, two to five, three Chad Brown horses in the race. She gets the trip that she likes. She goes to lead. The pace was a little bit fast, but it wasn't ridiculously fast. And she gets run down by a stable mate, Gina Romanica, to win by a head at 11 to one. Like I said, in the um, second straight time that this has happened to an Italian having getting beat by a, another horse from the Chad Brown barn. I'm going to look up these with the, uh, it was White Beam in the Diana before that, it won by a nose. But, um, you know, she didn't run terrible, but I was a little bit disappointed she didn't win. But Randy, you're talking about the, uh, and Randy and Zoe, uh, talking about the buyer figures. In Italian, ran her race. She ran a 105. A matter of fact, that uh, was the best buyer figure of her career. Somehow, Gina Romanica was just able to jump up from a 92 to a 105, an, an improvement of uh, uh, 13 points, and get the job done. So um, all that stands between an Italian and a perfect year is Chad Brown. It's yeah, it's Chad Brown beating Chad Brown and Peter Brandt beating Peter Brandt. So, you know, on an ordinarily an odd excuse me, let's say a regular owner could get mad, but it's Peter Brandt beating Peter Brandt and Chad Brown beating Pre Peter Brandt. It's just it's insane. And she <laughs> ran a winning race. Then they ran a fast time. I mean, they went one thirty three and three. 
and she gets beat by a head. Gina Romantica, obviously, she had a really, really good day. In Italian, lost nothing in defeat. And I like White Beam in this race, and I think she was just a little bit too close. But I don't think we can really hold it against in Italian for getting beat like that by her stable mate. Maybe Chad shouldn't run as many horses. And then just run one. Why run two when one will do? So because yeah. when you have 75 in the same division, <laughs> you gotta run more than one sometimes, Zoe. <laughs> it was a it was a really, really good race, but she lost absolutely nothing in defeat, in my opinion. Right. Randy, do you, you do you know because I know you check in? Sure. Um is in Italian going next in the Breeders' Cup Mile or Breeders' Cup Philly Mayor Turf, uh, which is where she went last year? Well, about uh, uh, 20 minutes ago, I texted Chad Brown. Uh, Chad's not a big fan of NBC right now, so for reasons, for reasons <laughs> we won't get into, but uh, he didn't respond. I said Gina Romanica for the Philly Mayor Turf and in Italian for the Mile. To me, that's mm-hmm. the logical scenario. No response, but but to me. Look, Gina Romanica. Oh, okay, first of all, I agree with, with with what you guys said. Just like Master of the Seas ran his race and got beat, in Italian ran as well as she's ever run, and just got run down by her Peter Brand stablemate. Okay, so I think that still makes her. Uh, we'll see what Peter and Chad choose to do. I think it still makes her a legitimate candidate for the Breeders' Cup mm-hmm. Mile, even with the Europeans mm-hmm. coming over. She'll get a hard. Theoretically, a hard, fast turf course at Santa Anita, which she loves. She'll probably set the pace, which she loves. Look, she's going to be tough to run down in the Breeders' Cup mile, even though she lost in the First Lady. And Gina Romanica, she's by uh, she's by uh, 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 Into Mischief. Uh, in the past, she's won the QE2 at Keeneland at a mile and an eighth. She was second to Fev Rover in the... Uh, uh, at a mile and three sixteenths in the Beverly D. So a mile and a quarter is certainly not beyond her capability, especially the way she finished up in the uh, in the first lady. Look at this. If, if you believe in the Keeneland fractional times, which now they have switched to GPS fractional times. I don't know why they did it. it makes no sense to me. Uh, so handicappers out there can no longer trust the Keeneland fractional times. Their beam timer was working just fine, but if you if you uh, if you look at those fractional times on the on the uh, on the Equibase G Max charts, Gina Romanica finished her final quarter mile in about three or four hundredths of a second faster than up to the mark did, and we saw how fast up to the mark finished. So Gina Romanica to me is a perfect candidate for the Philly and Mare Turf. And uh, I think uh, Peter Brandt split up his uh, his females last year. He had two big ones, obviously, in in Italian and Regal Glory, and he chose to run mm-hmm. in Italian longer in the Philly and Mare Turf and Regal Glory in the mile. But I don't think in Italian wants to go a mile and a quarter. So to me, that's what I expect to happen. And Gina Romantica purely loves Keeneland. I mean, you mentioned she won the QE two. Some horses just come alive at Keeneland because. There is not another turf course like it. It's a very sandy based course. So she could well be a horse for course as well. Point. Sunday at Keeneland, the big story was the spinster stakes. And I think people are going to look at Idiomatic's race and say, she stole the race, which she did. Uh, she got in front 24 to 48 and one, but I'm not going to hold that against her. That's a running style. It's an asset. She won by four and a quarter lengths. 
uh, beat a good field. Nest, unfortunately, looks like something's gone amiss with her as she was fourth beaten 11 and a quarter. I, I don't know off the top of my head right now exactly what the, uh, the pace scenario is going to be. Maybe Randy does for the Breeders' Cup distaff. But uh, to me, she's taken hold of this division. Uh, trained by Brad Cox, it was a, you know, again, they gave her the race, but then again, she had to run around the racetrack. She beat some decent horses. Uh, she's really good right now. And, um, you know, far in advance of the PPs coming out, I think she's the one to beat in the distaff. What were all the other jockeys thinking? She won this race exactly like she won her last race on the lead with Florent. Her first quarter was 23 and four. When I saw that and she was all on her own on the lead, I'm like, where is everybody? I know Ness didn't get off to a great start, but I mean, where were the rest of them? Were they back there sleeping? She went 23 and four, 23 and four, 24 and three. Those were her three quarter splits. Like, what were they thinking? I'm like, it's over when I saw her go down the backside because she is massive. Uh, Brad Cox said that she's the biggest horse in the barn. He said he has to get on his tippy toes to saddle her. And she's got this huge big old head and she's clunking down the backside, like clicking off these 12 and change, 12 and change fractions. I'm like, where's everybody else? She's regally bred. She's out of a full sister to close hatches who also had Tacitus. So these horses are bred to run all day long. Distance is not a problem. There'll be plenty of speed in that disc stuff because you're going to have two big fillies there that will be on the lead with a dare manor as well. Those two, to me, are so, so similar. It's just a question of who's going to be quicker. But it was a terrific ride by Florent Giroux, who certainly got her number. And if they let her go those kind of fractions, which they won't in the biggest cup disc star, she'll be a winner. But that purely was all flow all the way and everyone else was just sleeping, honestly. Yeah. And Nest, as far as Nest, I'm not sure what's gone on with Nest. We'll hear from Aaron Wellman a little bit later who perhaps might be able to enlighten us. But she just didn't show up. And she's closed before and, you know, overcome tougher trips than that. Yeah, uh, I, I think I know what the other jockeys were doing, Zoe. Um, having talked to all the trainers uh, of each horse in the spinster before the race, uh, to me, what the scenario was, right? You had Idiomatic, who had an, uh, who had the most early speed than any other horse in the field. If some of the other riders had really made it a point to try to ride very aggressively to prevent Idiomatic from getting such a soft early lead, they could have. But what you had was you had a group of long shots in the race whose owners and trainers were greatly desirous of getting a grade one stakes placing. Some of those fillies in the race are entered in the November sale at Keeneland and weren't grade one stakes placed. And they really wanted to have that on their resume. And I think they all felt that going out aggressively and pushing idiomatic early would hurt their chances of hanging on to finish second or third when you had nest in the race as well. So I think that's what they were thinking. I think they were being very conservative, trying to pick up the pieces. And uh, it worked with De La Vida. She finished second. Uh, but, it, but, but anyway, that's my theory. Uh, as far as the other speed in the distaff, you got a dare manner. Randomized, trained by Chad Brown. Klarvich Stables won the Beldame. She's also got a lot of early speed, and we don't know who else with speed might wind up 
going into the distaff field if any of the three-year-olds other than you know pretty mischievous and and wet paint who have no speed are going to go in uh clary is out there training already uh micropole said told nbc later in the day that nest was going to go that she was going to run in the distaff to me you, the favorite as the favorite, right? Yeah, that's what he said. That's what he said. <laughs> so, you know, you know she was fit. You know she doesn't have a physical problem where they wouldn't have run her. I, I just it, I think maybe Ness just doesn't have the same want to that she had a little bit earlier in her career. For whatever reason, you never know, especially with some of these Phillies, you know, what what might be going on in their head. And I was kind of surprised that they decided to push on to the distaff, but then I thought about it. She's going to be, it's probably the last race of her career. So she's going to go to the breeding shed, almost almost certainly. I don't know that for a fact. Maybe you can ask Aaron. Um, you know that if she wants to, if she suddenly decides that she wants to, she's got the talent to win the distaff. You really got not that much to lose. So if she's doing well, why not send her out there and, and maybe she'll get up on the right side of the stall uh, the morning of the distaff and she'll be the old nest and she'll fire big. But look, idiomatic. She doesn't have to have the lead. She's obviously probably better with the lead. All most horses are. But all you gotta do is go back two races and look at the Dell Cap, where she stumbled, went to her nose at the start. She was last, and then next to last, and she beat a weak field, but she wound up winning anyway. So maybe she doesn't have to be in front. She can just get that big long stride going, and you know, right behind whoever whoever is up there. But it should be a fun distance. Let's head to Woodbine, where on Sunday they had a bunch of major races, including the E.P. Taylor and the Canadian International. Canadian International wasn't run last year. They brought it back. Good to see. And, of course, was the 50th anniversary of Secretariat's last ever start winning the Canadian International. Not quite, because that race uh, in 1973 was run towards the end of October, but in the same race, run around the same time, with Eddie Maple aboard on a miserable day at Woodbine. Uh, go to YouTube. that You can find that race. It's really cool to see, and, and the conditions and everything. So, to me, and the E.P. Taylor, uh, won by Fevre over, has been a very good filly for Mark Cassie, and uh, she gets the job done over with the moonlight from Charlie Appleby. You go into the Canadian International and Appleby looks like he's about to get, could get shut out on this weekend, which is un, just uh, unfathomable considering the uh, the run he's been on and, and the horses he brings in. So he brings in Nation's Pride, who was fifth last year as the favorite in the Breeders' Cup turf and gets the job done, uh, beats another European horse, one-two European finish, uh, you know, I don't have a whole lot to say about this. Nation's pride. I just don't think he beat anybody all that good in this race, but it is Charlie Appleby. He'll be back, I'm sure, for the Breeders' Cup turf. But we'll certainly have to run better than he did last year when he was a three-year-old. This year now he's four, so maybe that'll help him. Uh, Charlie said he's not coming to the Breeders' okay. Cup with Nation's pride. It looks like that he's going to go to the Grade 2 Bahrain Trophy and then on to Hong Kong with him. So he was the best horse in the race and he won like it. So I'm not going to knock him for who he beat. He was very good. I'll tell you who I was really impressed with was Fev Rover because she got an a perfect trip under Javier Castellano. She was on the lead and then going around the turn, it looks like she was faltering. She was on the rails. She went back. A couple of long shots went on by her. She swung around them. She turned for home and here comes Moira, the favorite down the middle of the racetrack who actually passes her, and Javier Castellano, who's having the year of a lifetime, just kept riding, and Fevrova got the win. 
I thought it was a really, really gutsy win by her. And who did Fev Rover beat before that in the Beverly D? Gina Romanica. So Fev Rover's right in there, uh, right in there in the mix. I, uh, Charlie Appleby must have really high standards because Nation's Pride looked pretty good to me. And after the race, Appleby kind of poo-pooed it and said, "Ah, oh, yeah, he showed me. Yeah, he didn't want to go a mile and a half. So we're not going to run him in the Breeders' Cup turf. I'm like, wow, okay. I mean, I mean, I know the Breeders' Cup turf is going to be a lot tougher than the Canadian International was, but still, I didn't think he looked that. I didn't think he looked that bad at all. Um, one note about Secretariat that's kind of fun. I remember about 15, 20 years ago, I wrote an article about. I think maybe it was when Secretariat died, even. Um, and I talked to Eddie Maple, who rode Secretariat in that final race in the Canadian International, and I said, "Just tell me, what was it like to ride Secretariat?" You know. A horse that you'd watched, I know, like everybody else and had admired. And he said, first of all, it was a foggy day, if you look at the video. And you know how sound carries in the fog. And he, he, he said it was surreal. He's going down the backstretch at Woodbine. And Secretariat's hit, you know, hitting high gear. And all you could hear was like a locomotive. Mm. And he said, oh, my God. And so they get to the top of the stretch, and Secretariat's gone on, right? He's left Kennedy Road behind. He's left great turf horses behind. Secretariat might have been better on turf than dirt, amazingly. And he said, okay, I'm on Secretariat. I got this race wrapped up. This is the last race of his career. I wonder if he's got another gear. So he said, I just couldn't resist it. He said, got to the quarter pole. He said, I clucked to him, kind of moved my hands a little bit. And he said he felt this huge surge forward. And then he just kind of grabbed a hold of him and said, okay, all right. He had it. I just had to test him out. I just wanted to see. And, of course, he, you know, gallops across the wire way, way in front. So, yeah, it's uh, the 50th anniversary of that win. I can't believe it's been 50 years. But uh, that's always fun to, to reminisce upon. All right, guys. Who was the third jockey to have ridden Secretariat other than Ron Turcotte and Eddie Maple? Go ahead, Zoe. You know this. I've got no no, I don't. Sandy Hawley? Benny Feliciano just... wrote him in his career debut, right? Finished fourth. Zoe, you didn't even try Randy. Wrong. Oh, it wasn't Feliciano? You got the wrong Feliciano. It was a guy named Paul, Paul Feliciano. Feliciano. Yeah, he wrote him in his first two races wow. as an apprentice. And somebody are. wisecracked years later, why did Lucian Lauren put this kid on secretary in his first race where he got beat? Says because Lucian wanted to cash a bet. There you go. Alex Trebek would never have accepted Benny Feliciano. Good job there. No, no. About the wrong Feliciano. Anyways, okay. All right. We do want to remind you that the TDN Writers Room is brought to you by Keeneland. And if you didn't know already, Keeneland has cataloged 3,569 horses for its 80th November breeding stock sale. It'll begin on Wednesday, November the 8th, and run nine sessions through Thursday, no November the 16th. There is a standalone November of Horses Rage sale the very following day. The breeding stock sale features proven producers, coveted broodmare prospects, many of those that ran in the Breeders' Cup who were, of course, successful racehorses. There are a lot of royally bred weanlings at all levels of the market. The auction will open with a single day book one, which begins at 1 p.m., and will showcase an exceptional group of broodmares, broodmare prospects, and weanlings. This week's Racing at Keeneland produced a ton of black type updates to the catalog. Check them out at november.keeneland.com. We'll be right back after this message from Keeneland. 
Keeneland, a horse will always be measured in hands. Hands that see, that sense, that speak. Hands that hold our sport to a higher standard, not for our sake, but for theirs, for the love of the horse, for generations to come. There were a plethora of Breeders' Cup win and your in races all across the country. And I, of course, was concentrating on Santa Anita, where I caught up with some of the winning connections. Ladies and gentlemen, directing your attention to the winner's circle and Zoe Cadman. Chasselas takes the grade two chandelier in fine fashion here with not only her owner, but also her breeder, Dan Agnew. Dan, how are you feeling right now? Cloud nine? Cloud nine, uh, that would describe it, yeah. Especially, you know, with a homebred like this. It's a great thrill, and uh, you know Mark's done a great job with the filly. Uh, the man that was on the farm, I'd sold some fillies out of this mare. He said, "This is one I think you got to keep," and I, I think he was right. You bred it to Gunrunner. He's done wonderful things this year already with some of his progeny. What was one of the main reasons? I think you know the way Gunrunner's, uh, you know, proven he's a, a great sire of uh, both fillies and colts was a big reason that I decided to keep her and race her. Onward to the Breeders' Cup. On to the Breeders' Cup, yeah. We hope she uh, comes out well and, and uh, looking forward to it. Didier takes the Rodeo Drive in fine fashion here, here with her jockey, Vincent Shemino. First time to California, first time at Santa Anita. It's a win and you're in. How are you feeling? I feel good. <laughs> no, no, I had a very good chance today. My feeling was very good. She walked good the morning too. After the long break, you never know, but today the level was very good for her. The piece was good too. Everything was okay. It's a good filly and she deserved to win a great one for the future. Bob Baffert in the grade one American Pharaoh. Mooth takes it. Did I say it as good as Frank? Uh, very, you did a very, very good, great job. You run one, two in here with Why Me Up as well. You said it was a little bit of a surprising trip for Mooth. Well, I, I, the wind me up, I could tell he was getting really anxious before the gate, and I was talking to the jockey after. I don't think he needs blinkers. I think he was just really keyed up. And the, they were these jockeys were on their own, and he did when he broke really great. Uh, he just went on to the lead, which was the right thing to do. And Juan, you know, he just took a hold of his horse, and he got him to relax. And we've been working on that in, in the mornings a little bit, but not that much. But, but um, you know, I got a great staff, you know, of people that I got to give a lot of credit to. Uh, they work hard on these horses. And so, um, but it was nice to see that, you know, last race that he had, he just went out there so fast. But we got him, got him relaxed today, and I just love the way he kicked on. And I was proud of my other horse because he was starting to lose it there at the end. Winning, you're in for the juvenile. You're in, right, Bob? We'll have two for sure. I'm trying to get Speedboat Beach in there. We have Prince of Monaco. Don't forget him. And so we've got some, we've got some, some good ones. So hopefully we'll be live. Well done, Bob. Thank you. Don't forget, we'll have no racing this Friday at Santa Anita, but we will kick up on Saturday. And Sunday, this year's Santa Anita Fall Meeting culminates in the two-day Breeders' Cup World Cup Championships. For tickets, there's still tickets there, guys. Visit breederscup.com slash tickets. What they now call Belmont at the Big A was the major focus in New York over the weekend. 
where on Saturday they had, uh, this meet used to be one of the great meets in American racing history. They're down to three grade one races, which is just uh, mind boggling to me, but that shows you how much things have changed. And all three of them were run over the weekend, the Joe Hirsch, the Frisette and the Champagne. Um, I'd like to start off with the Joe Hirsch uh, Turf Classic. And uh, what a cool horse Warlike Goddess is. I mean, how can you not like her? This mayor who RNA'd for a thousand dollars when she first went through the sales ring at uh, Keeneland was later bought for $30,000. And uh, this is the second straight year she's won this race, second straight year she beat the males. She looked really good. She's age six, and I think that she goes now into the Breeders' Cup turf with a legitimate chance off of this. The other story is Rebel's Romance, um, another Charlie Appleby horse who had had this you know, year where nothing went right whatsoever after uh, falling in the Bowling Green, uh, thinking, you know, is he going to be all right? And is he going to be ready to run his best race? They made him the big favorite. He ran a lackluster fourth and uh, doesn't look to me like a horse that uh, is going to go on anytime soon to win a Breeders' Cup race or something else like that. And how about so high at 90 to one, got off to a 20 length lead down the backstretch uh, and actually still led by almost that much on the turn and finished third in there. So didn't quite steal the race, but they did a pretty good job. So uh, two thumbs up for Warlike Goddess, a uh, couple thumbs down for Rebels Romance, Zoe. Yeah, Rebels Romance just simply didn't handle the ground there, according to Charlie Appleby. So he was a toss. He faltered. He finished fifth. Yeah, that's where I was going to start, actually, was so high. And I thought that was a brilliant ride by Romero Ramage to just go as far as you can for as long as you can and open up 20 lengths. And you know what? The horse finished third, ran a good race, and picked up 60000 for owner-trainer Paul Ch Napal Chatterpool. So what's wrong with that, picking up sixty grand for yourself? So I thought that was a good race. Warlike goddess. Wow. Much like her sire, English Channel, who took down the what was it the Breeders' Cup turf in the monsoon at Monmouth. Were you there that year, Randy, for the oh, monsoon? Yeah. Oh yeah, two thousand seven. Oh, yeah. So much like her sire, she splashed home much the best. I don't know if it's right, but they said it was a track record for the mile and a half over that yielding ground, which I, I really I can't quite believe it was a track record, but it it says on the Equibase chart it was a track record, so. I'm going to go with that. Terrific ride by Junior Alvarado, and she certainly did show that she loved that going. And George Kikorian, what a banner afternoon he had with just FYI as well winning. Like that's that's a, a career right there for George Kikorian. That was fantastic. I was at Monmouth in 2007. Uh, ESPN had the Breeders' Cup then. Uh, we had our backs uh, facing the weather, and we were rained upon, torrential rain coming into our set, like the entire show. And I remember getting back, I had a blue suit on, and I got back to the hotel room. I had a white shirt underneath, and the back of my shirt was completely stained blue from the fabric of the suit I was wearing, getting so wet from all the rain coming out of Monmouth. But anyway, let's talk about horse racing. This race, it was a great race, the Joe Hirsch. I mean, it, you know, it had Rebels Romance, it had Stone Age, it had Warlike Goddess, it had Soldier Rising. And as a handicapping uh, tool for the Breeders' Cup turf, pretend as if it never ran. Just completely draw a line through it, and completely ignore it when you look ahead 
to the Breeders' Cup turf. It means nothing. They went a mile and a, and a half in two, let me look at the chart, 232 and four. This was. How was that a track record? It's, oh, no, that, that wasn't close to a track record. It, it, it was. No, no. bottomless, <laughs> bottomless turf. That's why a 90 to one shot could open up 20 lengths and outrun Rebels Romance. The reason why Charlie Appleby brings Rebels Romance to the United States is he likes hard, firm turf. And that's what you get over here. And he gets this in the Joe Hirsch. So I, I think you're giving up a little too quickly on Rebels Romance. I think when he gets out to Santa Anita and gets firm turf, you could see the old Rebels Romance resurface um, with better footing. Warlike Goddess, if you go back and look at her past performances, she's a perfect five for five on any race course rated other than firm. She's by English Channel, who loved it. She loves softish turf with the give in the ground. And so no surprise at all to me that she was the one that prevailed. Soft turf like that accentuates her natural stamina, which we know that she has in spades. And so I think she's going to be overbet when she gets to the Breeders' Cup. And I think Rebel's Romance is going to be underbet when he gets to the Breeders' Cup. Just ignore the Joe Hurst Turf Classic from a handicapping perspective, because it means it means zero on firm turf at Santa Anita. Several other big races over the weekend at the Big A. Uh, Zoe mentioned just FYI, won the Frisette for George Kokorian and Bill Mott, uh, the connections that brought you Warlike Goddess. Champagne won by Timberlake. Fierceness, seventh, is the two to five favorite. That's a race I think you can put a line through on him. He just had a miserable trip. Um, Sunday, the Bell Dame randomized. We talked about her. She won easily in a four-horse field. Then, with all the miserable weather we've had in New York over the last couple weekends, and just three straight Saturdays, uh, three straight weekends of just horrible weather, we had a match race in the Demoiselle. Jerry Mander wins the great match race of the Noble Demoiselle by 25 lengths. Zoe, what else stood out to you as one of the highlights of the Belmont at the Big A races. I mean, you got to like Timberlake's win over that sloppy racetrack. I'm not, I'm not sure what's gone on with fierceness because he did get off to a very awkward start. I hope he didn't hurt himself after stumbling and lunging like he did. But, you know, he proved at Saratoga that he could handle an off racetrack. So other than getting a little bit of dirt in his face, I think he probably should have run better than that. Timberlake is a horse that they've always thought an awful lot of. If you watched him work at Saratoga this summer, you'd be like, wow, who's that that just blew down the lane there? And that was Timberlake. So he definitely really improved. He was rank in that hopeful run. Uh, Brad Cox has a superb record of taking the blinkers off horses. And that's exactly what works a treat with Timberlake, as well as loving the footing. So he stood out to me in the grade one champagne and just F FYI by uh, Justify, she's a beautiful big filly, stands over a lot of ground. Watching her in the paddock prior to her maiden win, we were worried that she wasn't going to be able to get up going six furlongs because she's just absolutely massive. Looks like she's still got some growing to do. But I thought she was very, very impressive and has really thrown her hat into the ring for the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Fillies. Really? Okay. Um yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, I, I don't like anything that came out of, of Aqueduct except for Timberlake. Uh, I don't think just FYI has a prayer. I don't think the winner of the Chandelier at uh, Santa Anita has a prayer. I think Tamara 
is going to be the heaviest favorite of any of the Breeders' Cup races in the juvenile fillies out there. I think she'll be three to five, and I'll be shocked if anybody other than uh, Tamara. Although Candied and Vivi's Dream ran pretty well in the Alcibiades uh, at Keeneland. So, um, but look, I share your opinion about Timberlake. I thought he ran really well. He was entered in the Breeders' Futurity and scratched. Uh, Brad Cox also had a horse in there he was really high on named Awesome Road, who didn't run very well at all. But the reason why Cox decided to leave Awesome Road at Keeneland and to send Timberlake up to New York is that he thought Timberlake would be better suited for a one-turn mile than Awesome Road would be. But looking at the way he won the Champagne and looking at his pedigree, I think Timberlake will be just fine at a mile and a 16th, two turns at Santa Anita. I loved the way he set behind horses. He got involved in a pace duel in the hopeful stakes in his previous race that did him no favors. This time he relaxed nicely behind horses. Chad Brown had a horse named General Partner in the Champagne. that was absolutely controlling the pace, going so easy on the front end. And Timberlake still ran up to him and ran him down. Uh, so I, I don't like Timberlake as much as I like Locked or as much as maybe Prince of Monaco or Muth. But I think he uh, he deserves to be in the mix, obviously, for the juvenile off that champagne effort. Randy mentioned the races at Santa Anita, including the Chandelier. Uh, to me, the story out of Santa Anita was not necessarily who won the two-year-old races, but the two horses that weren't in them that are looking more and more like absolute monsters. And Randy mentioned Tamara, uh, she did not run in the chandelier. Uh, Dick Mandela put her in bubble wrap, which is what people like to do these days, and uh, is going to train her up to the Breeders' Cup. So a horse by the name of Chadless, who lost to her by 12 and three-quarter lengths uh, last time out, she wins the chandelier. Now we come to the American Pharaoh. Pretty much the same story. Prince of Monaco, a 103 buyer in the best pal, beats his stablemate Muth pretty convincingly in that race. Prince of Monaco skips the American Pharaoh. Uh, Baffert decides to go with Muth. Muth looks very good, wins by three and three quarter lengths, gets a 91 buyer. If Chatelis and Muth are that good, how good are Tamara and Prince of Monaco? That's why, uh, Randy, I was a little surprised when you said uh, that you uh, looked at Locked as maybe the horse to beat I do. in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile and not Prince of Monaco. Yeah, I do. Look, to me, uh, uh, this, is a, this is a redo of the 2022 Breeders' Cup Juvenile with different names. Okay, Last year, you had Forte for Todd Pletcher, winner of the Breeders' Futurity, and Bob Baffert out in California had Cave Rock and he had National Treasure. Okay. Now, instead of Forte, you've got Locked. And instead of Cave Rock and National Treasure, you've got Prince of Monaco and Muth. And I think they're very comparable in a lot of different ways. Uh, so it's going to be really interesting to see what happens now. Of course, this is Santa Anita at Breeders' Cup instead of Keeneland, which would theoretically favor uh, Baffert's horses a little more than shipping them east. But uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, Zoe, you're out there. You see Prince of Monaco. We've seen Muth. We know what Muth is. First of all, what did you think about Muth's win, and what have you seen from Prince of Monaco? Muth was excellent, and Bob's been working with Muth in the mornings to get him to relax. Now, it was a $2 million purchase. He was brilliant on debut. I had him honestly pegged as a one-turn kind of sprintery horse because he is a compact-looking individual, Watching his final work leading up to the American Pharaoh, it swayed me. 
He worked really good and got over the track really well. Let's us not forget that Good Magic won the juvenile going around two turns breaking his maiden. So that swayed me. So that put me back onto Muth, especially because he'd outworked Prince Monaco the week before, in my opinion. Now, Prince Monaco, there's nothing wrong with him. He came back and worked on Sunday. So I have to say that Muth's race in the Grade 1 American Pharaoh was quite simply brilliant. Now, it didn't work out quite how Bob wanted it to. I did like his other horse as well, Wind Me Up. But he was a little antsy in the post parade, a little jittery, and went straight to the lead, which forced J.J. Hernandez to take this horse back, get him to settle. And he finished like I've not seen him before. So I'm not going to toss out Muth like I tossed out Cave Rock last year because Muth has so much more upside now. He's been allowed to settle and grow up and relax a little bit. And he could very well give Locks a run for his money. Why did you toss out Cave Rock last year? I don't remember. I just thought he was a one-turn sprinter. Well, you were, so, you were probably right in hindsight. Yeah, that that was me watching him work in the morning. He never really jumped off the bridle. He was always on the bridle. And what Muth's been able to do in the morning and just relax like he's done was, to me, brilliant. Because it's not often you see, you see brilliance from Bob's horses all the time. But you don't see that kind of brilliance relaxing and settling off the pace and eating a little bit of dirt because no one schools their horses behind other horses anymore. That seems to be a lost art. Dick Mandela is the only one that seems to manage to do that. Yeah. As far as the chandelier, Chatterless, Gunrunner, again, showing what a great sire he is. She's, you know, she's not much to look at, but she got the job done. A lot of eyes were on Laurent. She simply didn't show up. It looks like she's probably going to get a break for Peter Urton. And, uh, yeah, I don't think the West is leading the way with the two-year-old fillies other other than Tamara, who still is sensational in the mornings and will be the one to beat for sure. Horse that's flown under the radar, Didio won the Rodeo Drive. She's now five for six in the U.S. for trainer Ignacio Correas, the fourth, beat Anisette, who we will also learn more about her from Erin um, Wellman, uh, but she's unlikely to come back in the uh, Breeders' Cup Philly and Mayor Turf. But Didia certainly has the credentials to be a major factor in that race. Yeah, she looks terrific. I mean, Vincent Shemino rode her perfectly. He's won five of six on her. She's going to stay out here. Nacho's coming out this week, so she'll she'll be allowed to stay in the sunshine and not have to ship back across the country, which is good. But she was much, much the best in that race. Let's hear about PA Breads. You want to hear about PA Breads? All right. Well, first of all, the TD and Riders Room is brought to you, as usual, by the Pennsylvania Horse Breeders Association. We talk a lot about Pennsylvania Breads. We talk quite a bit about Caravelle. We'll talk about her a little bit more later in this podcast. She's running into Franklin at Keeneland this, this weekend. She's trying to win it for the second year in a row. Of course, she beat the boys last year after winning the Franklin in the Breeders' Cup Turf Sprint, which is probably going to be the ultimate goal, obviously, again this year. Now, you guys, Bill had his trivia question about Secretariat. What are the Jockey Road Secretariat? If you guys get this trivia question, I am going <laughs> to just bow. This is this is this would be Jeopardy for 20,000. OK, <laughs> Caravel is trying to become the second horse ever to win the Franklin in back to back years. OK, oh, my God. OK, I, I'll, I'll give you the years of the original back to back winner of the Franklin, 98 and 99. Uh, I would give you the trainer if I could remember his name. Uh, any idea who went back to back in 98, 99? 
No. no. Okay. Now, Caravelle did it. She's a Pennsylvania bred. A Georgia bred went back to back in 98 and 99, a horse by the name of Ariel Delight. Well, that's what Caravelle is going to be trying to do. She's going to try to go back to back again in the Franklin. Meanwhile, the last leg of the two-year-old $1 million Pennsylvania sired Pennsylvania bred stallion series. Don't forget, December 27th, we're now up to $200,000 for the stakes races for Phillies and Colts at a mile and 70 yards now. Uh, to make sure your two-year-old is nominated, go to the pabread.com website. If he's not nominated, contact the Pennsylvania Horse Breeders Association by email at info at pabread.com. Now this message from the PHBA. The PA Horse Breeders Association presents the Pennsylvania Stallion Series. Six races for PA sired, PA bred two-year-olds at parks. Two $100,000 contests at five and a half furlongs. On August 21st, PA Day at the Races. September 23rd, PA Derby Day has two races at six and a half furlongs, both with a $150,000 purse. And in December, two races going long, each worth $200,000. For more, go to pabred.com. The TD and Riders Room brought to you by the Fast Sires at One Star Farm, the sponsor every week of this Fastest Horse of the Week segment. Our spotlight sire this time is Life is Good. We know the sons of Into Mischief are fast. And but who is the fastest son of Into Mischief at Stud? And that, of course, would be Life is Good with nine triple digit buyers, including a 112. And you talk about a horse that's doing well in the stallion barn. He bred 192 mares this year, and he has a new stud fee beginning in 2024 of $85,000. With numbers like that, life is good. It's not just good. He is brilliant, and he stands, of course, at Windstar Farm. Fastest horse of the week. It's a tie. We've talked about both of them already. Gina Romanica, of course, with, uh, with 105 in the First Lady and Warlike Goddess with the 105 in the Joe Hirsch. Now, anybody that knows anything about speed figures, uh, these two figures could not have been more different in terms of how they were earned. The pace was so slow in the Joe Hirsch that any fig maker, not just buyer speed figures, but Thoroughgraph, Ragazin, you name it, it, it's an educated guess. The 105 for Warlike Goddess. There's really no way to be confident in any number when a pace is that slow. It throws the the final time, in this case, what, 232 and four, just throws things totally out of whack. But in terms of Gina Romanica, you also had the Coolmore Turf Mile as a barometer, and the two races were very similarly paced. So you can be very confident in the 105 that Gina Romanica earned, and we'll see whether or not she goes forward to the Breeders' Cup Philly Mare Turf. The TD and Riders Room brought to you by The Green Group, of course, the sponsor of our Green Group Guest of the Week. The Green Group is a tax consulting and advisory firm that specializes in the thoroughbred business and specializes in saving you money on your taxes. Welcome in now the Green Group Guest of the Week. It's the head of the Eclipse Thoroughbred Partners, Aaron Wellman. What a terrific weekend Eclipse Thoroughbred Partners had at Keeneland. They won the Darley Alcibiades with Candied on Friday and came back to win the Breeders' Futurity with Locked the following day. I believe he said this is the first stable in Keeneland's history to win both those races back to back. We bring in now Aaron Wellman. And Aaron, I want to talk all about those races and all the success you've had, but let's see if we could perhaps break some news here first. 
on the uh, TDN Writers Room podcast. Uh, not a great afternoon for Nest in the um, spinster. We know that's not her. We know what a great horse she has been throughout her career. Fourth beaten uh, a dozen or so lengths. What does that mean for her status for the Breeders' Cup this staff? Look, as always, we'll do what's in the best interest of the horse, no matter who the horse is, whether it's Nest, a champion, or you know the lowest horse on the depth chart, we're going to make sure that we do what's best for the horse. Nest, as you said, didn't have her best day on Sunday in the spinster. Uh, but to answer your question, uh, I think we're just going to have to evaluate her over the next 10 days to two weeks and see how she responds to that outing. Uh, Todd Pletcher is going to consolidate all of his Breeders' Cup hopefuls at Keeneland. So she's already there, which is nice. It makes it simple. And uh, we'll just monitor. Obviously, she's been in the barn for two and a half years. We know her inside and out. She's a pretty easy tell. When she's right, she lets us know. And uh, if she's not up to it, there's no way she'll get on that plane. But we're certainly hoping that she gives us all the signals to give us the confidence to head out to California. Her last two races have been just a little bit subpar. Has she given you any indication that she might have been like, I've had enough? Because having watched her all summer in Saratoga, she looked phenomenal this past summer. Yeah, you know, we're not a stable that likes to hang our hat on excuses, but I'd like to think that she's deserving of a few excuses over the last couple races. Um, at Saratoga, the track was an absolute quagmire that day. She didn't seem to enjoy herself all that much on the surface on the occasion. All credit to Idiomatic. She did everything right and took advantage of it. But, you know, she's been gifted some pretty easy leads in the last two races in the personal ensign and then the other day in the spinster. Uh, so I think it was a function of circumstance that day in the personal ensign. She was also coming into heat, which didn't help matters. So we kind of drew a line through that one. Then coming into the spinster, the game plan was really to take it to idiomatic early and not let her get away with soft fractions. And if you watch the warm up, Irad warmed Nest up with purpose. She was so sharp. And I was just brimming with confidence going into the gate. And it was almost like we sharpened her up too much in the warm-up because it was hard to tell, but she did lunge while she was waiting for the gate to spring open. She banged her head against the gate. I'm pretty sure it rang her bell. I read thought it did. And then she was a bit dazed when they did open the gates and she didn't break at all. And from there, it was just a mess. And again, all credit to Idiomatic, not taking anything away from her and her connection. She's a fantastic filly and deserving of these two wins. Um, but everything that could have gone right for her went wrong for us. And we're hoping that if Nest shows us that she's in the mood to make this trip out to California for the distaff, that with the presence of Adair Manor and a couple other speed fillies, they might keep idiomatic honest. And that could set it up a little bit better for Nest. But at the end of the day, her last two races have been subpar. And she's definitely going to have to be showing us that she's at the top of her game in order to justify going out for the distaff. And also she's entered in the phasic Timden November sale right after the Breeders' Cup. So we'll uh, be keeping our eye on that. All right, so Aaron, let's talk about better things now, your big wins. Um, you start off the weekend in the Darley Alcibiades with a win by Candide. And uh, she looked good on paper. She broke her maiden at Saratoga by three quarters of a length, got a 76 buyer. 
But this was a tough race. You have Vivi's Dream in there coming off that big blowout win in the Pocahontas. And then Brightwork, of course, who was um, the leading filly in the division coming in. What was your confidence level uh, with Candide? And were even you a little bit surprised that, that she pulled this off? Our confidence level was guarded going into it. It was a big ask to go from a three-quarter debut win at Saratoga to a mile and a 16th grade one at Keeneland, especially against the field that you just mentioned. Uh, but she's a filly that has always exhibited a supreme level of talent. That said, she's given us fits ever since she got down to Susan Montaigne at Winding Oaks <laughs> in Ocala throughout the winter and the spring. Um, she's got this just resistance to switching leads when she's supposed to switch leads. And Susan got her to do it a few times. She's a master horsewoman and a few guys on her riding staff. But by and large, from the time she was broken and all the way through her training with Todd Pletcher, she just never would switch leads. So it was something that we were concerned about going two turns off of one sprint race is staying on her left lead all the way around the oval going to blunt her ability to polish off a race of this magnitude. Um, but one thing I'll give Todd Pletcher, of course, credit anytime you train a Philly to win debut, go in six furlongs and then win a grade one after that with just that one start under a belt is just epic achievement. But also Louis Saez is the kind of rider that really suits her because if they're running for Louis, he just leaves them alone. He doesn't try to make them do something that they don't want to do. He just keeps the momentum going. And I think you've seen that in her two races. Um, I would say I was mildly surprised. We were hoping to get valuable grade one black type with her. We thought we'd accomplish that. And anything beyond that would be cherry on top of the cake. But, you know, she's a very gifted filly. She's done nothing wrong. Again, she's going to have to take another step forward. We've got Tamara waiting in her home court, uh, you know, for the juvenile fillies. So this is going to be another huge ask. But I don't think there's any ceiling to her limitations at this point as far as Candid is concerned. Yeah, she's certainly a very nice filly indeed. So you've got her for the juvenile fillies. And then let's talk about Locked. Um, and I want to go back to his maiden run, his debut run, where he was 12 to 1. We'd watch him in the morning. He doesn't really light up anybody's stopwatch in the morning watching him work. But what were you hoping for in his debut? And what did he show you after the race? Well, whereas Candide was always a quirky filly that gave us great concern because there's nothing more frustrating than a really talented horse that can't execute when it matters, right? And when you don't train professionally, that's your concern that they're not going to translate that talent onto the racetrack. Uh, with Locked, it was the exact opposite. He was broken down in Ocala by Ocala Stud, David O'Farrell and his staff. And he, from the beginning, was a horse that asserted himself as a superior talent. And there were absolutely no quirks about him. He was just professional. And one of his greatest attributes is he's so laid back. He's wise beyond his years. And even though he's got that innate ability, he only does what he's asked to do. And so you were up in Saratoga all summer and you saw these horses breeze week in and week out. You could see what Candide was doing and why she was causing us fits. And you could see Locke. He was rather unassuming. But every time he was sort of asked the question, he was there to answer it. So going into his debut, we knew it was a horse that was going to require added distance. And we wanted to give him that educational sprint. And man, Jose Ortiz gave him the perfect seasoning outing. He had some trouble at the start, which wasn't by design, but it shuffled him to the back of the pack. He was able to take dirt, pick up the pace going into the far turn, weave his way through traffic, 
and then finish with gusto. And he galloped out monster that day. And I distinctly remember I happened to be in Saratoga and walking down the stairs to unsaddle him. I was with Todd and I said to him, I said, what about the hopeful? I think we can win the hopeful with this horse. And he said, <laughs> one mile maiden race at the end of the meet, breeders futurity, breeders cup. And when Todd has those visions and that ambition, you know what type of regard he holds that horse in. And thankfully, we executed the one mile maiden race and then we got the job done in the Breeders' Futurity. So touch wood, we've got one more uh, notch on the belt to execute come Breeders' Cup. Aaron, if I had told you before the race that you were going to be four or five wide on both turns, would you have still thought that you could get the win? Look, he was three to five on Saturday, and that was... Uh, ridiculous in my opinion for a horse that was facing the type of field that he was facing that was not an empty starting gate that was a serious group of colts that lined up against him and while we appreciate the respect he was given at the betting windows in my handicapping i didn't make him three to five by any stretch of the imagination when the post positions came out i didn't mind that he was drawn wide because he's such a big long striding high cruising speed type individual that if we could keep him in the clear that would be okay we just didn't want to be five wide going into the first turn and five or six wide around the far turn. But Jose had to make some decisions during the course of this race. He was wide and chasing into a pretty soft pace. And Jose pushed the button at the right time, which under normal circumstances probably would have been a little premature. But considering the slow fractions, knowing that horses were going to finish in front of him and the short stretch, I thought it was a really smart ride on Jose's part. And as we were talking about the way he trained, he was just there for Jose. Um, it did concern me a little bit when he had so much momentum coming off the elbow of the turn and didn't separate from the wine steward. And as we saw at Keeneland on Saturday, the inside part of the track was pretty good. You saw Ujiri come back on Wicked Halo um, in the TCA. And I was very concerned inside the eighth pole that the wine steward, who was an undefeated horse with three races, a very good horse, multiple stakes winner by Vino Rosso, figured to appreciate the added distance that he wasn't going to let back down. And he didn't. But you could tell that Locke was kind of reserving in the tank and Jose got him one time and he surged and got the job done. What was really interesting is he pricked his ears forward at the wire. So hopefully that's an indication that he had a little bit more left in the tank, but I'm glad that he got battle tested going into the breeders cup because that's the kind of seasoning you need in order to stamp yourself a champion. And Aaron, Randy Moss, who was not able to make this part of the uh, podcast segment, he had a prior commitment. He's come right out, locked as the pick in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile over Prince of Monaco. So uh, you impressed a uh, pretty smart handicapper there. But um, uh, that's going to be a tough field, though. The, those Baffert horses, Muth and Prince of Monaco, are tough. Absolutely. I mean, you've got Bob Baffert sitting in his backyard waiting for everybody to show up. That's a huge advantage. And he just wins these races year after year. And... Look, you've got Timberlake, who was extremely impressive, winning the Champagne on Saturday as well. He's a very gifted horse. I didn't mind seeing him divert to New York instead of staying in Kentucky. So it's a deep group of two-year-old Colts this year. And anyone who wins it is going to be a deserving champion and probably, you know, mark the favorite for the Kentucky Derby. But uh, if Locked continues to train accordingly and come into the race well, we'll certainly... 
uh, be going over there with conviction that uh, he's uh, the horse to beat. Aaron, Eclipse Thoroughbreds has prided themselves over the years in in picking up horses for marginal sums. Uh, Candy, 165, Fazic Tips in October, locked 425. But this year, Eclipse, along with some other partners, bought 18 yearlings at Keeneland, good for, I think, $5.3 million. You spent some money, you brought some nice colts. What's the mindset for Eclipse moving forward? Well, we're always seeking value, Zoe. You know, in this market, if you want to play at the top of the game, you've got such incredible bloodstock agents, eyes for talent that have a lot of money behind them that are all trying to either hit the home run with a stallion prospect or have that knock it out of the park Philly. And we've been able over the last 12 years since our stable was founded to find our spots, pick and choose, you know, fly underneath the radar. We'll take our swings on occasion. You know, our first seven figure acquisition was Tappert as a yearling. Thankfully, he followed through with a classic win and got a stallion deal at Gainesway Farm. But, you know, you just sort of have to go into every sale, every private acquisition, hoping that A, you're right about the talent that you're perceiving in that individual and B, landing value for your partners that are putting up their hard-earned money to have these individuals. And the faith that they put in the Eclipse program is immense. Um, we're, we're very humbled by the fact that we've got such an incredible partner base that answers the call every time we, we ring the bell. And, you know, I, I don't think that there's a game plan other than we have made it a point from the beginning of our stable to not just seek talent and find equine athletes, but we believe that our equine portfolio needs to be founded on fillies. If you're going to stand the test of time in this game and try to make any economic sense of it whatsoever, you've got to have your portfolio based on fillies. And, you know, we think we've earned that moniker hashtag eclipse fillies over the years with so many good fillies and, uh, yes, will we take our swings here and there for those stallion prospect profiled Colts? Absolutely. We've got a certain uh, demographic of our partner base that wants to go after those types of Colts. And then we've got the guys that really believe in the Phillies. So it's a really good blend of partners and support that we've got. And at the end of the day, we're just out there trying to perform our due diligence the best we can, find the horses that we think can represent the baby blue and black on Saturday afternoons and provide our partners with a great racing experience on and off the racetrack and hopefully make some history. Uh, Aaron, one more horse to ask you about before we let you go. Uh, you had a second place finish in the Rodeo Drive with Anna Set, ran into a tough customer in Didia. She ran very well. Her first loss in uh, the United States since coming over from Great Britain. She was only a three-year-old, but um, uh, your trainer, Leonard Powell, has been quoted saying she will not run in the Breeders' Cup. Why not? Yeah, you, you know, it was a interesting decision after she won the Del Mar Oaks so handily. Uh, you know, she had done nothing wrong, established herself as the elite in the division in Southern California. Uh, but the reason we stayed home is, A, because we wanted to test her at a mile and a quarter. Uh, B, we thought that just keeping her home would be advantageous for her long-term development. And C, it was a perfect opportunity for her to run against older fillies for the first time in a graded stakes race. And to be able to run out of her own stall at Santa Anita at the trip that the Breeders' Cup Philly and Mare Turf would be on, 
against older fillies we thought was the ideal test. And I think she ran a dynamite race in defeat behind a legitimate bona fide grade one older filly in Didia. Um, she got the best of us on the occasion. And as a three-year-old, my attitude going into the Rodeo Drive was that Anisette was going to have to win that race and win it rather convincingly in order to justify a trip to the Philly and Mare turf. Now, while I thought she ran an exceptional race on the occasion in defeat, I don't think it was quite good enough to warrant running against older fillies and mares again in the Breeders' Cup. You're going to have a huge European influence. You're going to get more fillies from the East Coast that are going to be in that field. And she's such a good, high-quality filly that I think if we peel back, let the big dogs bang heads in the Breeders' Cup, maybe we look for something like the Matriarch at Del Mar in the fall, maybe the American Oaks to cap off her season and then give her a little break and work backwards. Um, we're going to have a really nice filly next year. So, look, as much as we'd love to have another runner in the Breeders' Cup, we're going to treat her like the good horse she is. And hopefully our partners will be able to cap off the year in style and then go into next year and hopefully develop a campaign that will get her to the Breeders' Cup next season. Well, Aaron, congratulations on a terrific weekend for Eclipse Thoroughbred Partners. Two grade one races on back-to-back -back days at Keeneland. We'll see you at the Breeders' Cup. Best of luck, my friend. Hold on, hold on a sec. I just want to get a big shot of where Aaron is because it looks like he's surrounded by some fantastic saddle towels. What, what have you got behind you, Aaron? Yeah, this is a little uh, display that, that I've got to, to remind me of, of all these great horses that have uh, gotten us to where we are because at the end of the day, without these horses doing it out on the racetrack, um, you know, there is no Eclipse Thoroughbred Partners. But yeah, I'm in my office here at Del Mar after a, a long but successful weekend at Keeneland. And, uh, you know, I, I pick and choose some special ones that might hit a little closer to the heart. But uh, yeah, I can't really see what's behind me. I think sharing, of course, who was a Breeders' Cup winner and Nest and maybe Aloha West and Taprit and Carolina, you know, the who's who of, uh, of our stable over the years. But uh, yeah, I like to keep little reminders to uh, respect what's been done and hopefully continue to strive to improve daily so that we can uh, keep these colors posing for photos in grade ones. Terrific. Well, Aaron, once again, thanks so much for joining us here as the Green Group Guest of the Week on the TDN Writers Room podcast. And best of luck going forward. Looks like you could have a big Breeders' Cup. Really appreciate it. Thanks for thanking me. And thanks for all you guys do. Keep up the good work. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Aaron. As this week's Green Group Guest of the Week, Mr. Aaron Wellman will receive a free one-hour tax consultation from Lynn Green and Company at the Green Group. For more information, again, on how the Green Group can put more money in your pocket after taxes, you can go to www.greenco.com. Are you paying too much in taxes? The Green Group can help. There's a reason the most successful owners, breeders, and horsemen select the Green Group as their tax advisors. They save you money and share successful strategies. Over the past 40 years, the Green Group founder, Len Green, has owned and bred some of the best racehorses in the history of the sport, like Eclipse Award-winning champions Jaywalk and Wonderwheel. His DJ stable competes at the highest level and has received the game's most prestigious honors. Len Green's in-depth, hands-on industry knowledge, combined with cutting-edge tax-saving strategies, has produced positive results for his clientele and has made the Green Group the top-rated accounting and tax firm in the thoroughbred business. For a confidential and complimentary consultation, contact us at 732-634-5100.
or visit our website at www.greenco.com. The Green Group, proven strategies to save you taxes. Flightline is in full flight. Flightline turns it on at the top of the stretch, and he's in cruise control. And Flightline takes off. Take a good look at this, because you're not going to see this too often, maybe never again. Flightline, 20 lengths clear. World-class racehorse, world-class performance, and a world championship event. Do want to remind you that the TDN Writers Room is brought to you by the Lanes End Stallion of the Week. And this week, it is their newest stallion prospect and most recent grade one winner. His name, we already spoke about him, is up to the mark, who closed with the rush to take Saturday's grade one Coolmore Turf Mile. Up to the mark looked like he might have left it too much to do, but he delivered a flying finish to get up and win by a long nose. A son of not this time up to the mark has now won back to back grade ones, and heads to the Breeders' Cup mile. Last week, Lane's End announced that up to the mark would enter stud at the farm on the conclusion of his career. Loner Mike Rapoli was back in the news, and he's always got some interesting things to say about the state of our game. And for a guy who's been so successful in his business career, somebody that you have to listen to. He came out actually on the, the NBC show uh, this weekend and talked to Nick Luck, and said the time is now that owners take back the game. And what he's proposing is to create a national owners association. And he mentions that in other sports, owners in the major in the four major sports, the owners have control of the, the game. They're the ones with the major power. And they always say it's different is that the other major sports have a commissioner. And then the commissioner works for the owners, and that's where their power comes from. Racing does not have a commissioner, and, and without one, it's not going to make this that easy. Having said that, he made some really good points. And I do believe that owners uh, should have more power in this sport. And then I'll, I'll let you guys talk a little bit about that. But I want to get into some of the points he made. But, uh, you know, Michael Pulley's had a lot to say about this. And I do agree that, you know, owners need to step up a little bit here, flex their muscles Maybe there will be, you know, we hate another alphabet organization. We don't want the Horse Racing Owners Association of America to compete with this 382 other alphabet organizations. But uh, I do agree with basically what he said. And uh, look, this is a guy that knows how to get things done. Um, you know, he sold vitamin water to Coke for $36 trillion and then uh, Under Armour back to Coke for $47 trillion. So this is a guy that when he speaks, I would listen to. But um, an interesting concept. And uh, we'll see where this all goes. Well, there's no question this guy knows how to make money. There is no question whatsoever. Let's let's come with a plan and get it going. He's very good in front of the camera and he likes the camera a lot. So, and he came up with some good points that owners need to take control of the game. I thought it was rather apropos that Nick turned around and said, well, you know, you're saying all this, but you just spent $14 million down the hill at Keeneland buying yearlings. And he simply said, well, I guess I'm not the smartest guy in the room. So he's looking to, to take back the game. So I like the fact we're talking about it, but I want to see some action. Like, talk less. Let's just put pen to paper and let's get something going. And hopefully there's something going on with Rapoli behind the scenes, getting call it, having a call to action with the rest of these billionaire owners and trying to get something going because he's on the right track. 
but let's have less talking, more doing. That that would be my opinion on this. It, it's a question we've all asked ourselves when you have guys like Mike Rapoli and Vinny Viola and all these you know business powerhouses in the sport. Why don't they sp- sponsor more? Or why don't they get involved a little bit more and and help thoroughbred racing other than buying horses and racing horses? And maybe you know maybe this will be one of those things. Look, Mike, even off camera, I mean, he is so passionate about thoroughbred racing and about what he perceives to be the problems in thoroughbred racing. I, rem- I think I mentioned this on air. Uh, last fall at uh, Keeneland at the Breeders' Cup, ran into him uh, a few days before the race in the barn area. It was Jerry Bailey and I on reconnaissance. And he got our ear for literally 30 or 45 minutes. And what you heard on NBC, I promise you, was greatly sanitized. It was much more politically correct than the opinions that Mike Rapoli was sharing with Jerry and I, his opinions about the way thoroughbred racing has been operated from a business perspective, all these various racetracks and people involved in running thoroughbred racing. He did not pull any punches talking to us. He named names. He is not happy whatsoever with the way the sport of thoroughbred racing is being operated. And I mean, we've talked about many times about the weaknesses in that regard. If a new owner's organization can figure out a way to have enough power, to have enough teeth, to actually make something like that happen and and make beneficial progress to the game, then more power to him. But it's going to be a huge challenge. I mean, you mentioned the NFL. The, the owners own the teams. They own the stadiums. Uh, when you're talking about horse racing, you know, Churchill Downs is owned by Churchill Downs Incorporated. Santa Anita Gulfstream owned by First Racing. You know, they're the ones that control the purse strings. They, they and, and Naira and others in this country. And uh, he's talked about maybe being in a position where owners can boycott the entry box. And and if they band together and maybe, you know, force some of their uh, desires on the sport. Uh, but it's going to be a gigantic challenge if he chooses to tackle it. Uh, more power to him, but it's going to be tough. Well, let's see what kind of cooperation he gets from other owners. I mean, one of the, the uh, issues that we brought up last week, and, and Rapoli talked about this, is the uh, the th- idea that the Kentucky Derby is worth $3 million when that's just, it should be worth $10 million. I mean, that's that's not just my opinion. Most people think that if Rapoli could get together with, um, you know, people like Saul Kuman and Seth Clareman and Peter Brandt and West Point Thoroughbreds and, and say, you know what? We're not going to run in the Kentucky Derby unless you raise the purse to $10 million. You know, that sort of, it almost would be like a, a strike or something like that. That's possible. Um, a couple other points. I wish he had more to say about horse players. He really didn't get into that aspect much at all. I don't know if Mike's a gambler or, or not, um, but, you know, to improve this game, you have to improve the lot of horse players where the takeouts are much too high and they're going up against all these other forms of gambling, particularly sports betting. Uh, he had some other uh, points that I thought were pretty uh, spot on. He said you ought to increase uh, purses for older horses to increase, uh, you know, not not make the allowance race go from 100 and 
thousand to one hundred twenty-five. But big money races for older horses to uh, give them some incentive to come back. He said, "Fix two-year-old sales. Uh, no more of this one furlong and nine and three-fifths business. Um, you should. They should go either three furlongs or they should just gallop." Then he says he wants people to stand up. He says, "If you get fired, I will hire you." This is and this is on Twitter. Unless your that. name is Joe Drape. So, Joe, if you're looking for a job with Mike, don't bother. But, um, but you know, stay tuned. Um, we'll see what happens. I, I agree with Zoe. I mean, you know, we're, all, we're so much talk, so little action. Um, I agree with Randy. This is a monumental task that he's going to uh, tackle. But I would say if it can be done, who is the better candidate to get it done than Mike Poli? So for that reason, um, I'm encouraged by uh, what he had to say. Hey, um, before we wrap up, uh, some goings on at Keeneland this week. On Sunday, Caravelle, uh, the, uh, trying to become the first horse since the Georgia bred to win the Franklin Stakes <laughs> two straight years, uh, is going in there. Coming off, uh, she won this race last year and then came back and won the Breeders' Cup Turf Sprint off a little bit of a clunker last time out in the Troy Stakes. Did catch soft turf that day at Saratoga, but finished fourth. The Saturday feature at Keeneland is the Queen Elizabeth II Challenge. Uh, you have Elusa's Princess, who's making her second start in the U.S for uh, Arnold Delacour after a real nice win in the Saratoga's Invitational. And how about this, the Maui, Mount Mauj, M-A-W-J, not quite sure how to pronounce that. The two-to-one morning line favorite coming in for Godolphin, not Charlie Appleby, but Godolphin Saeed Vincerer is the winner of the 1,000 guineas. So you got a group one winner coming in from Europe to contest uh race. 11 horse field, excuse me, 13 horse field, which includes an also eligible. That'll certainly be the highlight of racing this weekend as uh, most, of, most, if not all of the Breeders' Cup prep races have uh, come and gone. Yeah, it's Morge. Morge, yeah. She took down the, the 1,000 guineas. She's, she's very, very good, but so. But um, the other filly is very good as well, Elusive Princess for Arno Delacour. Now, she's only ever run on good ground and good to soft ground. She's a soft ground specialist, so I'm not sure how she's going to handle um, the firmer going over here in North America. It was boggy as anything when she took down the Saratoga Oaks. But she's a good filly indeed. It's, it's definitely going to be between those two ones. So we'll have to see. But, Bill, will you be on the Godolphin bandwagon if it's not Charlie Appleby? Mm, good question. Yeah, I mean, Saeed ben uh, you know, has a great record of success himself. Uh, you just see most of these horses now with Appleby. Yeah, um, Godolphin could have a guy named Earl be their trainer, and um, I would uh, I would be on their horses. I wish I was going to be at Keeneland just to say hi to Sa I like Saeed ben I've I've always liked mm -hmm. him. He's a very personable guy, and I'm. it's, you know, on a personal note, I'm glad to see that uh, he's back in the States with a high-profile uh, Godolphin horse. Uh, I know he does in Dubai. He still has a lot of their good horses in Dubai, some of them, but uh, good for Saeed. The TDN Writers' Room is brought to you by XBTV. This week's XBTV Work of the Week is Archangelo, one of the leading Breeders' Cup classic contenders, having taken down the Belmont and the Travers. He had his first workout here on Thursday, breezing Five furlongs in 102 and 1. And, and Randy, I believe you might have been talking about his work with Jerry Bailey and, and yeah. what you thought of it. What do you think? Because he looks the same as I've ever seen him. 
Uh, Jerry didn't like the fact that the horse's uh, ears were pinned as he was coming down the stretch and, and they weren't uh, pricked as he was going nice and easy. Uh, he thought that was kind of a bad sign. But look, he, you know, you guys pay way more attention to workouts than I do. I, I, a lot of it's because sometimes I don't know what I'm looking at. I mean, unless you just pointed it out. And what you said right there, Zoe, is a very good reason why the normal handicappers need to take workouts with a grain of salt. Because unless you have seen a horse train on a regular basis and you have a, a, a point of comparison, then it becomes very difficult to look at one workout in isolation like Archangelo and say, well, I don't like that workout. You know, it may be better than he typically works. You, you really just don't know. So you've seen Archangelo and you say that's kind of Archangelo. That's atypical of him. He just gallops around there. And I was quite happy with the work. I thought he looked the same as he looked in Saratoga and watching him train every morning. He is a carbon copy, exactly the same. So it was a good work by Archangelo, and we'll see some more on XPTV. We'll bring you all of them. All the thrills. Fraction of the bills. Experience the power of the partnership. Change your life, make new friends, and compete at the highest level of thoroughbred racing. West Point Thoroughbreds, the gold standard in racing partnerships. Visit westpointtb.com. The TD and Riders Room brought to you by West Point Thoroughbreds. We're joining one of their partnerships, as we've said, can vault you into the world of instant camaraderie. Last week, we told you. It was told you. We told you. It was going to be a big weekend of runners for West Point Thoroughbreds. And it was also a big weekend of winners. Friday, Northern Invader won the Geo Ponte at Aqueduct. Also Friday, Lady Mia won a starter allowance. The next day, Slider won the Speakeasy Stakes at Santa Anita, also West Point. Sunday, maiden special weight, Laurel Vince broke his maiden. You want to get in on some of that action? There are still percentages left in the yearlings that West Point Thoroughbreds bought in Keeneland September that are going to trainers like Christophe Clement and Shook McGahee and Dale Romans. To get in on that, to learn more, visit westpointtb.com. That's a wrap on this week's show. I want to thank my partners, Randy Moss, Zoe Cadman, our Green Group Guest of the Week, Aaron Wellman from Eclipse Thoroughbred Partners, our co-producers, Katie Petruniak and Anthony LaRocca, our editors, Aaliyah LaRocca and Nathan Wilkinson. Thanks for tuning us in. We'll catch up with you next week.